Hello and welcome to another podcast edition of Taiwan This Week, ICRT's weekly roundup of news from around Taiwan. I'm Keith Manconi. We've got something special for you today. Last Saturday marked exactly one year since President Tsai took office. And we thought we would take the occasion as an opportunity to reflect on how Tsai's presidency is shaping up. So ICRT partnered up with the European Chamber of Commerce for a roundtable retrospective event on Tsai's first year in office. We're going to be playing you the audio from that event in its entirety for the show this week. A quick note before we get to that, though, we actually recorded this on Wednesday, meaning we actually hadn't gotten the news of the decision by Taiwan's Council of Grand Justices basically deeming laws preventing gay marriage as unconstitutional, in effect, paving the way to legalize gay marriage in Taiwan. This is arguably one of the biggest news stories of the year, and we are missing it on the show this week, obviously being caught a little bit flat-footed here. But we will pick up the story next week, I'm sure. And in the meantime, you can always tune into ICRT FM 100 live broadcast for the latest on Taiwan news. I'm sure you can find some very up-to-date coverage on this topic right there. Just want to listen into the top of every hour. Anyway, without further ado, we're going to head into that roundtable now. Here's the show. Before Tsai Ing-wen took office, one of the biggest criticisms that she faced was that her platform lacked substance. She would talk about things like the need to maintain uh, the status quo in cross-strait relations. And her critics would say, hmm, what does the status quo mean? Whose status quo? How are you going to maintain it? Critics uh, had similar things to say about a lot of her other policy proposals. Uh, you know, if, whether we're talking about uh, promoting transitional justice or the Move South policy, could mean a lot of different things. And when Inauguration Day came, there were a lot of questions hanging in the air. Well, uh, now we are one year into that presidency. Last Saturday, actually, marked exactly one year since Inauguration Day. And... Uh, I think it's fair to say that we have uh, some answers to a lot of those questions. And that's uh, exactly what we're going to be looking at here today. You know, we have a year's worth of difficult decisions, hard-fought controversies, and bruising compromises to sift through. And after looking at all that, we can sort of get a picture of who this president is adding up to be. And maybe even more importantly, uh, how she is changing Taiwan with her presidency. So uh, to help us out with that, we are lucky to have a group of expert commentators with us today. They're going to be sharing their insights. Of course, uh, all three of them are from very diverse backgrounds, so we're going to benefit from perhaps uh, some disagreements or diversity of opinion that we're going to hear today. So we're all looking forward to that. Uh, I'm going to introduce them in just a second, but before I do, uh, I, I want to ask you guys to maybe think about one question as I introduce you. As you look back on the last year of Tsai Ing-wen's presidency, what would be the one thing that has surprised you most? Whether it's a decision that she's made or a decision she's failed to make or even just uh, the reaction that she's gotten from Taiwan so far. What is the one thing that has really surprised you about this? Uh, and uh, we can keep these answers relatively short, just a, a way to kind of warm up and get into these proceedings. So I'm going to introduce these guys in no particular order right now. Uh, all the way on the right-hand side, we have Dr. William Stanton, who is a former director for the American Institute in Taiwan, a posting that capped a 34-year diplomatic career in the U.S. Foreign Service. Since 2013, Dr. Stanton has served as the founding director at the Center for Asia Policy at National Tsinghua University. That is a research center focused on Taiwan-related policy issues. So let's uh, give a warm welcome to Dr. Stanton. So, Dr. Stanton, what has surprised you most about the first year of Tsai's presidency? Well, actually, it was something that happened to her. The biggest surprise, I think, was the telephone call between her and Donald Trump. Uh, the fact that, uh, although I think it was proposed by White House staff, the fact that uh, it happened at all. And then the follow-up, not subsequently, that um, Trump then basically... Uh, discouraged the idea that he might have another phone call with her. So I think that was probably the most surprising event in terms of the U.S. relationship, both the warming and then the suddenly uh, the chilling of ties between the United States and Taiwan. 
Donald Trump may be the X factor of uh, the next couple of years in cross-strait relations. All right. Uh, thank you, Dr. Stanton. Up next, we have Dr. Lee Hongyuan. He is a distinguished professor of civil engineering at National Taiwan University. Within a long career of public service, uh, he most notably served for two years as Minister of the Interior under the Ma administration. So let's give it up for Dr. Lee Hongyuan. And same question to you. What has surprised you most? Uh, what surprised me most is uh, actually I don't know what she's talking about. Mm. Because when you, when you say about status quo, what is status quo? He cannot have a, have a good relationship with China. Then he say, okay, I'm not going westbound. Then we go south. But when he's talking about um, we are going south, but what's the content? Actually, we all know that uh, the Taiwan plastics, they run into a big trouble in Vietnam. Then I told, told her that you cannot solve that problem, and you, you try to persuade us that you can go south. If, uh, if you, you don't have a decent relationship, or at least uh, understanding between Taiwan and China, how can we go south? And then he come out and say, okay, we are going to have a, we're going to spend 800 billion NT to do so, so many projects. But what's the content? Mm. Well, what's the goal? What kind of, what kind of uh, ambitions we are going to, 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 to generate? So I would say, surprise me is so unprofessional. Very unprofessional. All right. So already we're seeing some of the disagreements that may crop up here today. And uh, maybe I was a little bit too optimistic. Maybe some of those question marks I were talking about I don't have answers, as we're hearing right there. Well, uh, last up, I want to introduce Dr. Shan Fu Xiong. He is a former Taiwan legislator who has served on several legislative committees and firm formerly held key posts in the DPP, uh, most notably including executive director of the Policy Committee and as chairman of the Central Review Committee, he is currently a much sought-after economic and political commentator, and you can tell that because we sought after him. So uh, thank you, Dr. Shen Fuxiang. Let's give him a round of applause, please. So uh, last up with you, uh, what would you say has surprised you most? From the beginning, I know she is not quite the right person for the job. <laughs> but surprising me the most is I didn't know she's able to fall apart so fast. You know, I think right now, at the one first year anniversary, her rating is so low, even lower than Donald Trump. <laughs> and I'm not sure, maybe a year from now, Donald Trump will still be higher than her. And because her rating is so low, that she pulled down everything she does. So I know your protocol has one question to ask, is uh, which policy, which reform that is the best and get approval rating from the people, the highest. My answer is none. You know, because some of his reform policy is good, with a good heart, and with a good intention, and maybe a good policy. But because her overall rating is so low, she put down everything. So that, I call that is a cocktail effect in reverse. And uh, not only that, I think she's going to put down the party and she's going to pull down the potential candidate in the year of, uh, 2018. And that's a good news for you, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so right now, if you look at the rating of each reform policy, don't look at the approval, uh, disapproval rating. Look at the another column, the approval one. The approval one, if the issue is nonpartisan, then the approval rating is about 20. But if it is a partisan issue, like particularly that relate to DPP party's core value, then the approval rating is somewhere around 35%. So I tell you, that 35% it is the diehard Green Party's supporters. And that is really very miserable. So at this point, even I would say the middle grounders, 70% left is already leaving the party. And uh, the blue party, I think 95% doesn't like her. But right now, even the deep green or the you know, middle ground green camp, they are pretty, pretty shaky. And uh, you know, they, I think in the middle of maybe six months, they maybe decide to, hey, let's think about it. Should year of 2020, should we let her run for the second term? I'm not sure about that. All right, there you have it. 
So we promised a diversity of opinion. Uh, Dr. Stanton, I'm hoping that uh, you have some slightly more positive things to say. Uh, but those are your panelists for today. Uh, I want to last up introduce uh, my colleague, Dr. Gavin Phipps. I'm giving him an honorary doctorate from ICRT right now. Uh, Gavin Phipps runs the news department at ICRT, and he is also a morning anchor. So if you ever listen to the morning news, he will be a very familiar voice to you. So I'm going to hand things over to Gavin right now. Let's give it up for Gavin. Right, obviously President's tying when has had a very busy first year in office and there's a lot of territory to cover and we only have about 45 minutes. So for today's roundtable, I'll be asking our panel three questions about some of the headline-grabbing issues of President Tsai's first year as head of state and then I'll be throwing it open to the floor for questions from the audience. Now we'll jump straight in where it all began in mid-2015 with promises of major reforms when the DPP chairwoman hit the campaign trail. And President Tsai and the DPP were in large elected because they promised wide-ranging reforms in numerous areas. So what does the panel see as the most important decisions that President Tsai has made so far in regards to reforms? And can they prove both popular and successful? Dr. Shen. I think I already touched a little bit about that. But I think Ms. Tsai initiated many, many reforms on many fronts, and it's always a good heart, and basically they are not bad policy. But because the way she did it, or the team do it, I think the result is on the negative side. So I think about it. Last night, you know, although I know this is my first time attending this occasion, Last night, I know this occasion, I don't get any honorarium, you know, but I still think very hard. Uh, I think the reason she failed, I think the verdict is already in, although this is only one year, but I think she failed. She will fail for the whole, whole term. It's, you can do it, say, by looking at her as a person, or you can look at the, the team, or you can look at the macro environment. I think she is the one doing it not quite right for the presidency. Because look at it, she has more than six years to prepare. But she named her forum as Think Think Forum. Xiang Xiang Luntang. Then she had a pet, a cat and a sweet dog. And then she named her cat Tai Xiang Xiang. Think Think Tai. Then she took her more than seven months to fill the vacant position of Secretary General of President Office. So she is the person that unable to lead, to govern. And right now, she's really very hesitant and lost the confidence. So even some of the policy is good, but the team cannot carry out. You know why? Because the team is appointed by her. You know, Lin Chen, the, the, the uh, Prime Minister, is her, is she, Pick, you know, she picked the, the Lin Chen, and the Lin Chen picked the cabinet member. No, I don't think so. <coughs> I think most of the cabinet member is picked by Ms. Tsai too. So the whole team has no core value and has no central spirit. And so it's a lack in style, lack in spirit, and a lack in skill. So no matter what she do, she does, then everything fails. So to answer your question, none. Not at all. Nothing. Well, we came here to be cheered up, but that's put a real bummer on things, hasn't it? Anyway, Dr. Lee, what do you think of her reforms, and are they successful, and can they prove successful? My opinion is pretty much like Dr. Chen. Uh, I would say, yes, I won't doubt she has a good intention, but somehow the good intention always leads to chaos. Because when, when, they, when, when they come up with the policy, but again, I just emphasize, unprofessional. You want to spend 80 billion NT. Actually, you need uh, 800 billion NT. You need a long time. You have to take at least one year to prepare. You have to dialogue among different ministries. So actually, the dialogue among different ministries is lacking. And of course, I've been a minister. I've been a minister for public construction and minister of interior. Actually, the ministries... You had to work as a team. The policy between different ministers always conflict with, with each other. The, the prime minister, he cannot control the whole cabinet. That's a major problem. You want to go southbound, it's fine. 
but you have to define how to go southbound. You have to invest. Actually, there are lots of uh, diplomats here. You know you want to go to Vietnam, you want to go to Indonesia, the government has to invest. You have to have a goal. You have to have a very clear, clear mindset. But somehow they just say, want to go southbound, but they don't have content. Still content is lacking. And also, he wants to please the labor. So he say, and turn out to become a chaos. Because nobody win and lose. Nobody want to work overtime. And the labor, they, 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 their income somehow shrinking. And the boss also in chaos because they need a double labor to, 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 to deliver the similar uh, the function. And also you want to, he has a very hard time with the government officer. He embarrassed the government officer. But she forget is the government officer who runs this country. The, but the driver is driving the bus, and you can attack him, and you say, oh, the bus can go to the good, good direction, can, can maintain the good speed. It will never happen. The problem is, the dilemma, dilemma is they always say the, the government officer, you teachers, professor, you earn too much money. Actually, we do not earn too much money. <laughs> it's the labor they earn too, too, too little. So we try to improve the labor situation, not, not to just throw down your government officer and we, we are as poor as the labor. That's not right. So actually, there are so many policies. I would say, I don't know who gave her the idea. And I don't know who, who prepared a script for her. And I cannot, I, well, I would say, there's uh, some action plan, that there's no strategic plan. What's the, what's the purpose? And they claim we spend so much money, we are going to generate so much re- revenue. We are going to increase maybe so many uh, people empl- employment, but prove it. How? I cannot see that in, in any of her policy. So actually, I cannot cheer you up. Actually, <laughs> I, I, I feel very, very worried for, for, for the country, actually, frankly speaking. Right, and Dr. Stanton. Well, perhaps because I'm an American and therefore I'm not either green and dissatisfied with uh, the president nor blue and dissatisfied with the president. And because I have Donald Trump as a president, in comparison, I would say that Tsai Ing-wen is a superb leader and, and doing a terrific job. Um, first of all, Dr. Shun has been throwing around a lot of statistics which are incompatible with anything I've seen. Uh, even the most pro-KMT statistics do not give such low ratings. In fact, they're much more evenly divided. And in certain areas, for example, the elderly people, she has a majority. So if you're going to bring site statistics, I think you ought to cite sources for them. And perhaps we should have prepared our own set of statistics and we could compare them. But I haven't seen anything that negative in terms of statistical ratings. In fact, in many areas, in the area of reform, generally opinions are divided with people thinking she's going too fast, half, and half think she's going too slow. I think in some areas, uh, Dr. Lee criticized the fact that there's no content to some of her policies. Well, for example, in a recent speech, she talked about her infrastructure investment program, and I think there was content there. She was talking about the need that for too long, the rest of the country outside of Taiwan has been deprived of the resources they need to incorporate them into the country as a whole. And talking to people like Mayor Lin in Taichung and uh, Mayor in Kaohsiung years ago, it's true. You moved all the factories to the middle and the south where there's high pollution, but there's not a lot in terms of government support. Um, And the idea of bringing in rail, light rail, that could better integrate some of these areas, I think is a great idea. All of these ideas that she's the first one to propose. We had eight years of President Ma. I don't recall any reforms under President Ma. What he, he was noted for was his agreement with China, ECFA, which didn't do anything at all for ordinary people, did it? Nothing at all, which is why... The Blues lost the election. So now she's taking on really hard issues. Pension reform is needed. It's scandalous that some people who retire from government get 18% interest rates. 
I can't get interest. Well, if there's a Godwin, can you give me 18% on my investments? Not this year. So, but pension reform is moving forward and people should be happy about that. Long-term care. This is a very aging society. The demographic situation is very bad. There are not enough young people. And in that regard, one of the things she's done for his Look South policy, if you were paying attention to it, is they've been bringing in increasing numbers of Southeast Asian students. I believe there are over 10,000 now studying in Taiwan. At Tsinghua alone, there are more than 200 graduate students from India. So there has been an effort to increase enrollment in the universities for two reasons. It's partly consistent with the need to fill classrooms, but it's also because they recognize that in future years, there are not going to be enough professionals in order to fill all the high-tech industries. And they have been moving on that. In addition, they passed a regulation that's going to make it easier for white-collar workers to come here and work and get permanent residence cards. So that's been progress. Um, the idea of improving housing for the well, less well-off is much needed. When you look around Taipei even, it's not easy to do. A lot of the things that she wants to do also are out of her hands. That's particularly true in the area of the economy. I once asked somebody, a very high-level um, CEO here in Taiwan, high-tech company, what can the government do to improve the economy? He said probably nothing, because so much of the economy depends on the decisions of individual businesses here. Uh, for example, most of the investment uh, from Taiwan that's outbound goes to China. I don't know that's in Taiwan's interest. But one of the consequences also is that Taiwan ranks now about 51st or 52nd in the, in the world for incoming investment. The only Asian country that ranks lower is the Philippines. A lot of these things are not under her control. Um, she's working very hard, and I think it's a good idea, on KMT's illegally acquired assets. You cannot deny that the KMT came here and stole a lot of property. And it's still in their, in their coffers, and it's being taken away as it should and creates a much more level, balanced playing field. She's making progress in that area. She's making progress, although there's debates about it in judicial form, a very tough area. But judicial reform is like trying to reform the U.S. Constitution. Why do you think we only have, what is it, 27 amendments? It's very difficult to change the Constitution. It's very difficult. Everybody thinks it's a good idea to get rid of the examination UN, for example. But nobody's ever done it. But she's raising these tough issues, and that's progress as well. So I think, first of all, we need to give more realistic credit to things she's done. Look at the facts and not just generalize that she's terrible and she's doing an awful job. Right. We shall move on. I, I think I know the direction we're going to go here. It's two against one. Anyway, so let's move on to the economy. And doc, Dr. Lee, I mean, obviously President Tsai Ing-wen said before she was elected that she plans to build, and I quote, a new model for economic development for Taiwan. So how do you see President Tsai's plans for the economy shaping up so far? And are they offering Taiwan, well, a new model for its economy? Well, first of all, I, I would say the 18% interest actually is misinterpretation. Actually, for me, I've been teaching in NTU for 31 years already. For those people who can enjoy so-called 18%, he's 70 years old. Actually, it's a very limited percentage. And those people, when they retire, they only make about 20,000 NT per month. So those 18% is just to take care of those people. Actually, for me, we, I can, I cannot, my salary, only probably 10% can enjoy so-called 18% interest. So that's actually that's a wrong interpretation. And, and, uh, and then President Tsai or DPP make such a big deal. And they have a very bad, wrong impression that all your government officer, when you retire, you enjoy 18% interest rate. No, that's not true. Actually, very limited people can enjoy that, and those people, actually, they are the people who really need government to take care of them. And also, yes? Ian John. 
including Lee and John. There are very few wrong examples. <laughs> But actually, there are lots of people that say they want to give up because they they don't need that. And again, I will say it. I won't. I won't say all the what what she has offer is wrong. Actually, actually, it's it's correct. But I will say. You you want to make the decision. You need a lot of preparation. You have to work very closely, and then you have to, your goal has very clear. Then come up with action plan. For example, you want to have a light uh, rail, but you go south. There's no demand. You go. You want Gaoshong have the new light uh, railroad. Then you we have to ask financially. How can you balance? You want to have Gaoshong, Taizong have those kind of so-called、uh, public transportation. So my suggestion is move our capital from Taipei to Taizong. Then three million people move to Central Taiwan, and our 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 population, our industry is evenly or smartly distributed around our western coastal area. If that is the Direction. Then we talk about how we are going to build a rail, light speed railroad. Are we going to extend our high speed rail to Pingdong? Pingdong will always say, "Okay, how come high,、uh, high speed rail don't go to Pingdong? Because Kanding is not enough." So my suggestion, American, you retire in Florida, California, Arizona, because that is a heaven for retirement. For for the retired people, why you have to live in Taipei? Because Taipei has a good medical care, good hospital, so they have to live in Taipei and live miserably, because the cost of living in Taipei is so high. So we we should make Pingdong as a rehaven for retirement. They have the best hospital, best medical care. So all the retired people, not only from Taiwan, from Hong Kong, from from Singapore, or even China. They go to Pingdong, and then we discuss what will be the infrastructure they need. That's what I mean. I don't challenge it that she has a good intention, but she has to be professional. She has to be a very clear direction, and then every word she say in the cabinet, five ministries involved. The ministry has to talk to each other. Otherwise, always conflict with each other. That you want to spend infrastructure, we are only talking about spending money. But we, but from from my experience, you spend the money, you have to generate revenue. And how can you generate revenue? It's not the it's not the Ministry of Public Transport,、uh, Ministry of Transportation. It's the Ministry of Interior. That's the jurisdictional Ministry Interior. So they have to work as a team. So that the teamwork is lacking. At least for for these years, so I was I won't challenge. She has good intention. I won't say she might be a good person, but she has to be professional and a, a, a policy that needs a, a long term, long time to cook. And also, she has to dialogue. She has to dialogue with 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 a lots of people. Make people knows what she's thinking about. Not not everybody wants to become her enemy. I don't think so. But but I would say, be professional. Right, and Dr. Shen, do you plan to move to Pingdong to help the economy? Well, that's one thing I disagree with Dr. Lee. But before I elaborate on that front, I like to say, after listening to Bill Stanton, I finally realized the other side of the table is always greener. That's <laughs> funny. <laughs> that's a Taiwanese humor, you know. Very clever. <laughs> But I disagree. I, dis- I disagree with Dr. Lee on two things. Number one is a 18% super interest regulation. He said the one who enjoy those are 70 years or older. That's not true, because the system is abolished in year of 1994.、Yeah. So from that year to now is 20 years. So if the guy who is now 70 years old, then the year the system is abolished is 50. So the one who was still employee as a public officer, younger than fifty, that means forty nine, forty eight, or thirty or twenty five, they still accumulate certain years、uh, that were still.、Potion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you, you but you said it in such an absolute way. A small portion. That, that's 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 not only skewing; it's misleading, you know, to the audience. Okay.、No, I told them my salary, ten percent. Yeah. 
And, and number two, I disagree to go to, to go to Pindong just for retirement. You know, Taiwan is such a small island. The transportation is so convenient. It takes me about three hours to go to Pindong. Why are you so bothered to do such a things? The other day, California Assembly is thinking about to adopt a unipayment system just like in Taiwan. Okay? But the total cost, I calculate, the California population is about 1.7 times of Taiwanese people. But the total cost of a unipayer system is more than 20 times. And if you adjust for the population, the medical cost of American medical care is roughly 12 times. But if you don't talk about medical care, you talk about retirement, it's eight times. But then 12 times or eight times is not a fair because you have to adjust the, the PPP, you know, the uh, purchasing power adjustment. And roughly, Taiwan's purchasing power adjustment is twice of the Americas. So you have to divide it by two. So if you divide it by two, the medical cost here in America is one to six. And retirement spending is one to four. So thinking about that, the living in Taiwan, regardless of in Pintong, offshore island, or in Taipei, is all very cheap. It's all very cheap. You know, consider, you know, you guys may consider one day to come to Taiwan to retire, regardless of where. You know, it's so cheap, and your salary is, you know, is according to your home country's standard. So this is the best place to live, to die, and to retire. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so that's not the point. The point is, for 20 years, since 1998, the Taiwan reached the climax, the high point of economy development. Before that year, Taiwan's trading surplus is almost zero. Taiwan's uh, foreign reserve re never rising so fast, but after year of 1999, the foreign reserve rising such a degree. The surplus increase, and all the bureaucrat industry Scholar all say, that's good, that's good. I tell you, that's bad, that's bad. Do you know why? Because the net foreign asset of Taiwan in foreign bank, if you adjust by GDP, is number one in the country, only next to Switzerland. But Switzerland, you don't count, right? It's number one. If you look at the foreign reserve adjusted by GDP, Taiwan is almost number one. But Taiwan is bleeding to death because the labor, the common people, they are getting poor and poor. So this is a very right-wing society. But then look at people pin their hope on DPP, on Miss Tsai. But did Miss Tsai do anything different? I don't think so. I'd like to answer your question. Because your question is, does the economy policy correct or wrong? I just mentioned two things. One you just mentioned is a South Bank policy. South Bank policy is very strange, you know, because Taiwan is a trading-oriented country. They are bound to every direction anyway. <laughs> Why it has to be south, right? And you mentioned south. You add the adjective of new. South is south. Why is new south? <laughs> and you do that is because you try to compensate for the loss because you don't have a good relationship with China. So you want, to, you want to use that to compensate for the loss that you have previously with China. But if you want to do that, fine. But then you don't you... Re Think about the China will do everything to block your idea. And if you want to do that, don't beat the drum so hard, right? <laughs> you let the Beijing know, so I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. <laughs> Beijing is not stupid, right? <laughs> so I think Beijing is going to do everything they can yeah. to make your Sussman policy fail. That's number one. Number two, I'm going to talk about the 88 million. You talk about that too. The so-called Chen Zhan. How do you translate Chen Zhan? Foresight. Is that foresight? Foresight. No, no, foresight. Okay. That is very stupid too. Do you know why? <laughs> Let me ask you this question. If 20 years ago, in the year of 1998, the one we reached the peak, or year of 2000, if we already, at that time, back, you know, back 20 years ago, if we spent time to put in all the right rail, to put all the rail underground, to do everything that they proposed to do, 20 years later, does Taiwan become a developed country? Like, a, you know, OECD country? You know, because I divide the entire world economy in three levels. One is the one, the GDP is around 40,000. 38, 39, 40, 42. And the second level is Taiwan, example, 20,000. 
Well, Korea is getting better, around 30. But if we did that 20 years ago, this, today, Taiwan's economy, the GDP getting, getting to 30, 35, 37, it is not. It is not. And the third level is below 10,000. But, Thai, you know, like previous China, but it's catching up. But then China is so big, you have to divide into the coastal area and the non-coastal area. Coastal area is really as good as Taipei. But if you look at the huge part of China, that is really still belong to the third category. But right now, if we want to Chenzhan, if we want to see four, if we want to see, you know, 20 years from now, is putting the right rail the right thing to do? Maybe after you putting all the right rail, it's already the transportation system will be totally different. So that is really not a very smart move. I think Singapore is doing a little better than us, but I think Korea is not bad, not bad either because Korea is right after the financial crisis of year 2008. Korea become diversified and really helping their industry diversify and also allow the Korean dollar to appreciate. Taiwan's biggest problem for the last 20 years is to artificially suppress the value of Taiwan dollar. And the purpose of doing that is try to facilitate the export. But then the result, the net result is what? It's low wage, low price, low tax. And they make the whole country like Zhanghua or Pindong or even Yunning. You know, it's really create the environment just for selling the cheap good to the public country. Taiwan as a country is like vendors outside the department store, you know. And then when the department store's business is done, we still want to be a vendor. We never think, we always thinking about selling and never think about buying. You know, 20 years ago, uh, Mr. Freeman, Milton Freeman, told the Japanese, say, you love American dollar, but we love Japanese good. But to a certain degree, Taiwan, <laughs> but certain degree, Taiwanese is doing the same thing as the Japanese. But Mr. Freeman, the Nobel Prize winner, he told the Japanese, if you think that's good for you, do it, and do it forever. <laughs> See, now we are really, really test the bitter result of that kind of practice. So I'm very happy that because of Donald Trump, you know, he just said, oh, you know, Taiwan, in four criteria, you have two of them, really violated criteria. So he threatened, he threatened Taiwan's trading, the, the dollar tra uh, trading, trading value should not too much artificially intervene. So our great 13-star <laughs> president of Central Bank, who we saw his hand, and the Taiwan dollar, appreciate 8%. Do you think, but it's interesting, did you see anyone in Taiwan smile because of that? Everyone is crying. Everyone said, dollar, appreciate 8%, 8% is bad. Have you ever seen any country in the world except the Guangchang Xiei, Guangchang Xiei, how do you translate that? Oh, the, the Prada Agreement, and they forced the Japanese to, to raise the yen's value, right? Except that one is artificially done. And it's bad for the Japan afterwards. But have you seen any country with a value of dollar going up, their own currency going up, and the country fail? Never. Taiwan is a single exception. They are all happy with revaluation and crying with valuation. <laughs> this is a very strange country. And the Thai Yingwen's administration failed to recognize that. And the first thing he should do, she should do is raise and solve the problem of low wage. If you don't solve the problem of low wage and have the one holiday, one day off, it's just opposite. You know, you just have treat the tail and not the dog. See? And that's really very bad because do you know why? In Taiwan, we have two kinds of labor. One is enjoy the vacation more than the extra income. But the majority of the labor, particularly those who are not belonging to the national going national run stay, 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 stay on the country they they don't want vacation you know they want income and they want saving you know i i eat the doujiang uh, the the bean, bean soup every morning and i talk to one one low ranking level he, he said just eating issue hurt my family very bad 
And I asked him why. Because he has a wife coming from Vietnam. He said, my wife and me both working very hard, extra hours, in order for my two school children to go to the after-school work. But now my income is down, so my two children cannot go to that, and that will hurt my family. I said, but to what degree that you will start to enjoy vacation? It's just an income to meet certain level. He said, no, I want saving too. And you know, you will be surprised. Please sit tight, you know. I asked him, how much saving you have that you will be satisfied? Say, hey, let's enjoy the vacation. 20 million NT <laughs> for a low-ranking level. 20 million NT. Go talk about this in the United States. Boy, you know, Bill, can you, do you dare to talk about 20,000 million, 20,000, 20, 20 million, 20 million you uh, saving in NT before you are going to enjoy the vacation. That's Taiwanese. That's Taiwanese society. Any government fail to appreciate the psychology of people, eventually will fail. Thank you. Right, so Bill, you're, you're a retiree who chose to live in Taipei, no plans to move to Pingdong, and how do you see the economy? Is it in the toilet, as we've heard? Well, as Dr. Tsai said, President Tsai, in her recent uh, anniversary speech, Stock market is up. The NT dollar is up in value. I guess she's been listening to your advice. Um, the uh, wages are somewhat up. The growth rate projections are up. So all the economic indices actually right now are fairly positive. So I don't know why you're presenting such a negative picture. Um, the second thing is I think you've both made a case for the fact that so many of these problems are longstanding Um Dr. Lee calls for more planning. Well, uh, and you've given a historical background about how nothing has been done for so long. So I think it's great that a president comes in and says, I'm going to take these issues on. And even if we don't have all our planning done, we're going to dive in as a way to force planning and make some things happen. I think in a way you've both argued indirectly um, for the fact that Tsai is taking the right approach, that she's trying to address long-standing issues that have just been um, left in abeyance. They've just been out there and nobody's done anything about them. Um, she recognizes that people are dissatisfied, but as you indicate, um, there are certain things that, for example, the Taiwanese people don't want to pay high taxes, as you indicate. But the net result of that is, for example, at Tsinghua University, as all national universities, the tuition is unbelievably low. And these national universities come from the wealthiest families in Taiwan. They often graduate from undergraduate school and go to graduate schools in the United States where if they don't get uh, fellowships, they're paying sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year sometimes. But when they're at Tsinghua, as an undergraduate, they're paying $2,500 a year for tuition. Now, I've gone to many dinners in Taipei that cost more than $2,500 if the wine is good. So, you know, they, they want free medical care, they want cheap tuition for their kids, and they want to pay an average tax rate of 13%. That's unsustainable, which is why every minister of health that I've ever talked to says that the what they worry about at night is not about American beef poisoning the population. What they worry about is the health care system is going to go bankrupt. And it's also already facing the problem of doctors leaving Taiwan and going to other countries because they can make more money. And also because they don't have to see 75 patients in a day. People taking numbers and then waiting in line. It's why as a, as a better off retiree, I can get VIP service and I pay for it. And I'm happily pay for it because there are great doctors here. So I think you've made a case that, as I've already said, that a lot of what happens in the economy depends on the will of the taxpayers and what they're willing to pay for. A lot of it depends on the companies. Taiwan is a capitalist country. Many Some companies, they want a low Taiwan, uh, Taiwan dollar. Why? Because they get their income in U.S. dollars, so they get more. They don't want the value of the dollar to devalue. 
companies like TSMC and these other high-tech corning display technologies, they're looking to make money in dollars. So they want the dollar to be high. So, you know, it's hard to control that situation. There's a demand. The Financial Supervisory Commission, I've been told by some people, the best thing that Taiwan could do for the economy is get rid of the Supervisory Commission because it meddles in unhelpful ways and tightens up the economy. It prevents more investment by outsiders here in Taiwan. So there are things that can be done, but can you imagine in a relatively Mandarin society saying we're going to get rid of a commission? that already exists. It's like trying to get rid of the examination UN and the control UN, although nobody can figure out what they really do. And yet these bureaucracies continue to be supported. So there are things to change and, you know, that I would change if somebody made me king. And I'm sure there are many things that uh, President Tsai would like to change, but she doesn't have the popular support to do them, nor the political support to do them. So, you know, you have to be realistic in the world of politics. I think given the limitations of both popular views and political views, I think she's doing a damn good job. You know, to a certain degree, I agree that people here are accustomed to or get used to the low price and a low tax. But the right thing to do is to have a high wage high price, and higher tax. In, before you do that, you are unable to reach the level of OECD country. But then people cannot change their old concept. It, you know, we used to say it's just like a frog slowly cooking in the pot. They, the frog, until they die, they don't know that water is getting warmer. They never learn how to jump out of the pot. But then you say, the president should get the support from the people. I disagree. Because people used to that kind of thinking for so too long, almost 20 years. So right now, we need a good president, a good administration to lead the people, to govern the government, to let the people know that we are wrong for so long time. You know, but then during the anniversary, president hired herself in her home. And that is a be a good opportunity even don't do, you don't have to do that fireside chat. You should come out to tell the people what is right and what is wrong. And believe me, I will lead you to go out from this really very bad situation. But she doesn't want to. And according to Bill, she said, people have to support the, support the prison. I say no. The prison should inspire the people. Right, there's another can of worms, eh? So let's open another one. And we'll start with Bill. So how has President Tsai Ing-wen handled ties with China and the U.S. over the past year? And how do you see it going forward over the past, in the, f- the future, 12 months? I expect uh, I'll be an outlier here. Uh, the one area I would agree with Dr. Shun is, I think, but this was a failure also of, uh, certainly of President Ma, is I don't think public communication has been good enough. A leader needs to inspire and get people to follow along and make convincing cases. And I would say that, um, you know, there's been a tendency for people who are academically inclined or have been, um, how should I say, more intellectual. I don't think they do enough. I think this was a problem with uh, President Obama as well. To explain why he's pursuing the policies or why the policies he's pursuing are good and why the people should get behind them. I think that's also been true in terms of her foreign policy um, at all levels. I think, for example, that um, as Michael Cole in a meeting yesterday pointed out, for Taiwan to survive in an international environment, it needs good relations or at least stable relations with China. It needs good relations with the United States because the United States is its most important ally and supporter uh, and has always been. And it needs uh, good support from the rest of the world, particularly other major Western countries. And I don't think that Taiwan is putting enough effort into countries like Germany, Canada, Australia, um, France, um, other parts, uh, all of Europe, all of Western Europe, to make a case for itself and make people around the world understand that Taiwan is, albeit with problems, a thriving democracy, 
that it does have one of the highest GDPs. I think it ranks per capita basis. I think it's 23. Um, pure per capita is 23 on a – no, I'm sorry. Gross GDP is about 23. Per capita is about 29. But on all the rankings of favorite places that foreigners want to live, uh, competitiveness, ease of doing business, um, freedom of the media, on all those criteria, Taiwan is always in the top ranks. And Taiwan needs to be out there and it needs to put more money uh, in its foreign policy budget not to pursue countries like Guinea-Bissau, which if Guinea-Bissau sank into the sea tomorrow, nobody would notice. Um, But it should be looking for countries that matter to build support. Because I tell you, China, mainland China, is in all those countries um, building Confucian Institutes, uh, promoting its views of the world, promoting its view of Taiwan, and Taiwan is not doing enough to sell itself. Now, on mainland China, I think that President Tsai was elected on the basis of feeling that the relationship with China was not working for the people. President Ma used to get out and tell anecdotes about he stopped by some mom-and-pop shop, and they said, oh, yeah, we're getting Chinese tourists, so we've really been making out better. I mean, all the evidence is that all the tourism that President Ma brought in, and for all the ECFA agreement, it didn't really benefit that many people. In fact, I know friends who went out and talked to Taiwan businessmen on the mainland. They did a survey of how much ECFA helped them. And they said, if we had waited for ECFA, we wouldn't be doing business here. We came here only when we knew we had nailed down what our tax rate would be, what about our employment prospects for getting employees, labor, would there be a labor shortage, what about our natural resource, our raw materials, they worked all that, what established relations in the individual provinces and cities where they worked, they didn't wait for ECFA, and many of them said when it was first introduced, the amount of time to fill out the paperwork wasn't worth the slight decrease in tariffs, so I can't think of what the last eight years did for the economy and what the improved relationship that President Ma introduced with China did for the people. I mean, he was praised for his relationship with China. Did they let Taiwan into ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Organization? No. Did they let them into IMPO? No. Did they let them become an observer in the regular meetings of the World Health Organization? No. They were allowed on a one-time basis dependent upon a yearly invitation to attend the World Health Assembly, which meets for a couple of days. So when you look at it, if that was the golden period of Chinese-Taiwan relations, it didn't do much for Taiwan. It didn't do much for the the economy or the Taiwanese people. Um, So I think... Tsai was elected on a platform which said, I'm going to try a different tack. We're going to maintain the status quo. The status quo is simply, that was a nice way of saying, we're not going to upset the the apple cart. We're not going to take a vote on independence. We're not going to have any referendums. We're not going to do anything provocative. And she's stuck by that. And I think it's been a reasonable policy when all the polling shows that the majority of the Taiwanese people don't want to become part of China. They want to keep their distance. They don't want to come under Beijing's rule. So I give her credit for that. The U.S. is a crapshoot because we've got a president who shouldn't be there, um, in my view, humble opinion. Um, He was very open in the beginning to a phone call. I thought that was really positive. Everybody was elated. And then he turned around because he thinks China is going to solve the North Korean problem. The good thing about Trump is he changes his mind all the time. And when the Chinese don't deliver, and they will not deliver and cannot deliver, consistent with their own geostrategic interests on North Korea, I think he's going to change his policy again with regard to Taiwan. By the way, it was not President Trump who criticized Taiwan. That was a report produced by the Department of uh, Treasury. Uh, It wasn't... As far as I know, President Trump has himself never called attention to the trade uh, deficit or the uh, uh, currency manipulation with Taiwan. That was the uh, Treasury Department, and it's been a long-standing issue. But he's also aware he can sell a lot of weapons here. He's called attention to that. So that's why I was hopeful eventually he will. Right, Dr. Lee. 
President Tsai Ing-wen, China and the United States. Your opinions thereof. Uh, yes, unfortunately, we have to have a good relationship with those two big brothers. But somehow for a small country like Taiwan, it's very, we have to be smart enough to, to, to play balance between those two big countries. And yes, yet, yes, when President Ma's period, we do have a good relationship with mainland China, but I, I think we did not have the enough wisdom to make those good relationships into revenue. That's why we, we, we lose our, 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 our election. But the problem is, because of that, you can say not, oh, you have a good relationship with China. You did not uh, bring a good uh, uh, business into Ch Taiwanese people. Yes, they do. A lot of people enjoy good relationship with China. For, but I will say, again, even Taiwan is very small, but it's as complicated as a big country. Everybody has different opinions. So I, I will say one policy, somebody get benefit and somebody get hurt. So actually, when you make a new policy, actually you have to dialogue. You need a lot of dialogue among different people, poor people, rich people, and eventually come out with, uh, with, uh, with a goal. So you, with China, yes, we have to dialogue with them. We cannot just say, no, I want to talk to you. You cannot. You have to talk to you. You have to dialogue with, with China. Again, we have to dialogue with the United States and Japan and all the governments. So I would say, again, back to my original opinion is, I, I won't doubt, of course, a new president, you can have a new policy, you have, can, you, but you have to persuade people. You need a lot of time to cook before you come out with, with a mature policy. So that's something I will, I, but I will say Taiwan is still a very good country, so, so I think we'll be very happy. You, all, all more we have a complaint about our government, but our private sector is very strong. So I will say the government simply provide a good environment for our business people to make money. But again, I still have all the, all the hope, all the, all the, all the opt, 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 optimistic uh, about Taiwan, although we do not have a strong government at this time, and and I hope they with another three years to go. I hope them wake up, and become professional, and listen to people, listen to 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 people, and and uh, have a good dialogue with Chinese government. Although maybe they do not like Chinese government, but we have to talk to them. Would you like to say about China and Tsai Ing-wen? Well, you know, I can see. The other side of the grass is even greener with less than 30 minutes. But you know, Tsai Ing-wen decided not to accept the 92 consensus. Therefore, the Beijing will apply the pressure to her. But Taiwan is not an easy issue for Beijing either. Because I always said in Beijing's hand, there's a toolbox. There are many tools inside the box. But not a single one is easy to use. Because it's like holding a pigeon in your hand. You know, if you squeeze too hard, the pigeon die. If you turn it too loose, the pigeon fry. You know, so the purpose of the Beijing's policy towards Taiwan is to let Tsai Ing-wen very, very difficult to carry the job. But don't let the Taiwanese people to have bad feeling. And therefore, you know, they have separated the government from the people. And, and uh, but however, I think the Tsai Ing-wen and her people, before they took the job, they should already anticipate this result and they come up with an alternative model or alternative you know, example to make Beijing not happy, but at least acceptable. And, but that's not an easy one. So therefore, I tell every gentleman here, lady and gentleman, I, two years ago, I put out a two, five million NT award for anyone who can come up with a model to explain the close trade relationship, our or the guy, five million NT. But until now, there's no volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, but, but I, I'm a little worried, you know. So I, I'm going to think about this issue and come up with a model myself. Otherwise, I'm not rich, you know. But, but the reason I put out five million is because I know it's not a, it's not an easy job. But Taiwan is going nowhere. It's rich a, a dead end and a rich, you know. She pent herself into a corner. So for the remaining three years, you cannot see 
any any resolution across the street is a dead issue, is a dead end, and it's very unfortunate for Taiwan. Thank you. All right, that's it for the show today. Thanks for listening to Taiwan This Week. Once again, you were hearing there from Dr. Li Hongyuan, Dr. William Stanton, and Dr. Shenfu Xiong. Your host was Gavin Phipps of ICRT News. I'm Keith Manconi, also of ICRT News. We will be back to our normally scheduled programming and format next week. Until then, see you next time. <laughs>